I guess that was for her, wasn't it? That's good. That's more appropriate. That's good. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16 is where we're at this evening. So we're working through the book of Acts. You ever uh, been in a situation where you think God might have made a mistake in leading you? Or he might be making a mistake in leading you the direction that you're going at that time? How hard is it for us when we feel led of God to do opposite of what we feel is right for the moment? I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but this is a tough place to be, especially in the area of ministry. When we are serving God, we're wanting to honor Him, wanting to do as much as we can for Him. And we've got an area of ministry, or we've got something we're going to do for Him, and He says, uh-uh, hold off, don't do it. Uh, have you ever had the heart to help someone? <clears throat> and when you reach out, God says no. Tonight I want to look at Paul in this situation here at Acts 16 as we uh, work to it. So let's start reading at verse number 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren, which were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in, the number, in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and region of Galatia and forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. You can say that again there. Forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to uh, Mysia, they assayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and they prayed him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to that word there. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier to say words in my office. I read these aloud in practice, and it just flows off the tongue till I come up here. Blah, 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 blah. And the next day in uh, Neapolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony... We were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there, thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira, came, worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Father, I pray tonight you'd help us as we look at this first part of the chapter, chapter 16. <coughs> You'd help us to learn something, be a benefit to us, in Jesus' name, amen. We see as the chapter starts here, the commencement of Timothy, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, was a Jewess and believed her father, and his father was a Greek. Timothy and his mother had been converted when Paul and Barnabas were in the area before. 
During Paul's absence, Timothy had been doing well, had made progress, was growing as a Christian, even had a good testimony in the church. He had the respect of the other believers. His mother Eunice had married a Gentile, uh, but, her, but her and her mother were zealous Jewish Christians and raised Timothy that way. His father was obviously either tolerant enough to let this training happen, the way that they wanted to raise him, or he had passed on, the Bible's not clear. But either way, these two educated Timothy in the Scriptures. He was brought up more Jew than he was Gentile. This foundation in the Scriptures gave Timothy a great start. And can I tell you, you do want to raise your children with a foundation in the Scriptures. You want to raise them according to the Bible and teach them at a young age. Then you have commendation about Timothy 2. Verse 2, he was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystria and Iconium. One can imagine the enthusiasm that Paul had for Timothy. What a perfect replacement for Mark. He needed somebody to step in and serve in his place. Now, the missionary team needed a young man to help with the mundane aspects of the evangelism. And Paul was that type that loved to pour his life into a young man. And Timothy was the, would end up being really his son in the faith and his, his uh, protege, the one that he poured himself into the most. T Paul had a gift for attracting people to himself and then attaching them to Christ. And this is an admirable thing to do, as we <coughs> not to build our own kingdom, but to point people toward Christ, to build them up and add value to them uh, on the behalf of Christ. Now, it, uh, it wasn't necessary for the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, to endorse all workers. Decentralization, uh, which we call today the autonomy of the local church, was a, an integral part in Acts of the church growing, different works springing up all over the place. Uh, it's still an important thing uh, for us to see that, and that's why we invest in churches that are getting started in different areas. Most recently up in Alexandria, we've uh, helped to uh, <clears throat> given funds toward that. And so we want to see those autonomous local churches pop up. Uh, I like to see the commitment of Timothy. Verse 3. There was one drawback for Timothy. He was neither a Jew nor a Gentile. He was more Jew than he was Gentile by way of his training. But, uh, and as far as Paul was concerned, this could be easily remedied if Timothy would just submit to a very painful operation. Talks about here in verse number 3. Now, uh, it would be a good test of this man's courage and his commitment to the cause of Christ. I, I'm sure that circumcision is not pleasant to an eight-day-year-old baby, or however old they are, but it certainly wouldn't be pleasant to a grown man. And here's where Timothy was, and yet that's what uh, Paul was considering here. Uh, because of the Jews' prejudice, which were always the first contact whenever Paul came into the city, was the Jews, it would be good for Timothy to become a full Jew, to be circumcised. Now, to be circumcised uh, would be a big deal for him, and it showed uh, a total lack of prejudice in Paul's mind. Remember, Paul fought tooth and nail with his entire life and name on the line that circumcision had nothing to do with salvation. We just saw that in the Jerusalem council. He also uh, fought 
diehard against the fact that Gentiles would be forced to accept it as a condition of the faith. He would fight to his last breath not to put Gentiles under the Mosaic law. However, Paul was also supremely practical, and he knew that Timothy was a special case. Being neither Jew nor Gentile, it would be a handicap in the kind of work that Paul was involved in. Jews would not regard him or would regard him as a Gentile because he was an uncircumcised son of a Greek father. Gentiles would regard him as a Jew because he was raised a Jew by his mother. So Paul decided that because Timothy's work would, would focus mostly on Jews, unsaved Jews, the best thing to do is legitimize him. Jewish or Gentiles would accept a holy Jewish missionary more than Jews would accept a half-Gentile missionary. And so getting circumcised would solve that problem. So I'm reading between the lines because he didn't tackle him to the ground. He obviously took it to him and he approached Timothy. This is something you do by consent. And he came to Timothy and Timothy, revealing his character, agreed to this unpleasant operation. I think that speaks volumes of who Timothy was. Now, if Timothy had been wholly Gentile, uh, like Titus was, this would not have been necessary. It wasn't necessary for Titus, but it was necessary for Timothy just because, uh, practically speaking. But Paul, I find it interesting, even though he fought that it wouldn't be required, Paul was always willing to make concessions when it did not violate some important truth or doctrine. And what a testimony in a day and age when we demand our rights, when we want what's coming to us, when we don't want to be inconvenienced, when, bless God, I don't have to do such and such if I don't want to do such and such, that attitude that we have today. They, Timothy, willing to undergo that situation just to be used more of God. And it makes me wonder, what would be, we be willing to do to further our influence for Christ? What inconvenience or discomfort would you be willing to take on in your life if you knew that it would widen your impact for Christ? That's a great question, and we ought to consider it and ponder it because I really believe the answers in our everyday life will come. We have opportunity all the time. We should do this, but it's inconvenient. We should do that, but it's out of our way, or it costs too much, or whatever reason we come up with. Let's be just submissive to the Holy Spirit, shall we? And let's let God use us. I, I would have <laughs> feel sorry for Timothy when that meeting took place. Hey, Timothy, I've got something to talk to you about. Like, do you consider something? And you know what Timothy said? Evidently, we just see the outcome. But Timothy said, you know what? If, if it'll help me get the gospel to more people, I'll do it. What a blessing that is. Think about it. What a blessing. Now, the local churches were enlightened in verse 4, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and the elders, which were at Jerusalem. The legalists had done their job. They had spread the falsehood. Now the missionaries were coming back and kind of cleaning up that mess, distributing the letter. Uh, that's what the decrees are, the letter from the uh, church at Jerusalem. And verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith. They were encouraged. The word established there, stereo, is a medical term. It's only used here and also in Acts chapter 3 when Peter healed the lame man. Luke says that he was strengthened in his feet and ankle bones, received strength. 
And that's, uh, that's the same word there. When uh, it, it said that in the name of Jesus, through faith in his name, that made this man strong. Again, that word is used in that same chapter, Acts chapter 3. Uh, and that's what the ministry here of Paul and Silas did for the Galatian churches. It affected a healing, which is exactly what church, that those churches needed after these attacks from Satan through the false teachers. I think probably if you've been going to church any number of years, you've been in church at a time when it needed healing. I certainly have. Something happens, or there's a, there's a split, or there's a, a gouging, or something uh, there's some kind of uh, con- conflict or division in the church, and it is. It's like a wound that needs healing. And so that's what they happened here. They were established. They were made strong. Look at verse number 5. <clears throat> the local churches were in- not only encouraged, but enlarged. They increased in number daily. This was and is God's program for the church. It should be evangelistic. It should have an outreach it should be winning souls, and it should be growing daily. A church, always remember this, a church will evangelize or a church will fossilize, one of the two. You've you got to constantly keep uh, evangelizing, getting the word out. By the way, praise the Lord for the new faces we keep seeing. Isn't that a blessing? All through last week, almost every night of the meeting, we had different faces come in. Not, nothing wrong with your faces, mostly, uh, but having new ones come in is a blessing too, amen? And seeing new families come in and the uh, Lord adding to us, it's, a, it's an exciting thing to see that kind of growth. Encouraging saints, evangelizing sinners, the two should go hand in hand. Now, there is a teaching and an idea that a church exists only to evangelize. That's a mistake. That's not right. Uh, it's not only to evangelize, it is also to edify. And then there's ideas and there's churches that list that, that they exist only to edify the saints. And that also, I believe, is wrong. It exists to do both. We are to edify the believer, to evangelize and win the lost as well. Now, getting to what our subject is tonight, Paul <coughs> experienced a time of vagueness here in verse number 6. Now, when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, they were moving westward. Everywhere Paul went, he saw a need. He saw lost people. He saw ripe harvest fields. He would have stopped everywhere if it were up to him. But he was under constraint. It was not the Holy Spirit's time for Asia, and so Paul could not stay. It's an awesome thing to see Paul led by the Spirit because you know with every fiber in his being, he wants to stop and preach. He wants to stop and reach out in these areas. And sometimes... The Holy Spirit leads us differently than we would go. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but where you think, Lord, that makes perfect sense. I mean, this is the way we ought to, this is what I have to do next. And God says, no, shuts the door, or whatever the case might be. Uh, We need to just be submissive to him. Asia would be evangelized, but not on this journey. That was not what God had for him this time. He would come back later. He would start a church in Ephesus. And that church in Ephesus would send would send works all around the area of Asia and so get that whole region covered. But now was not the time. So yes, he was burdened, but he kept his team going on listening to that voice of God. Verse 7, after they were come to Myasia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not again. Now I want to go over there then. No, you're not going over there too. Here we see it a second time. Bithynia was north of Asia Minor. 
Paul would have evangelized this province, but the Spirit also at this time said no. So troubled in his spirit, unsure of why God is saying no, not Galatia, not Asia, not Bithynia, he keeps moving. Sure that sooner or later, the Holy Spirit will make everything clear. By the way, the title of our message tonight is Paul Moves Forward. He just keeps moving forward. Uh, even when he doesn't want to, he's being instructed to do so. Paul keeps moving, uh, and, and I think every one of us have probably been in situations like this where it, it's kind of confusing because good things are not always the right things. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Sometimes just because it's a good thing doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing at the time. And so we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, anyone who walks with the Lord has experienced this type of, uh, we could call them troubled times. We don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, the Holy Spirit suggests a change or a move in what we're doing, and, and all of a sudden different opportunities open up or, or different doors open, or we just want to barge a door down and, and force it open. And wisdom just says to wait on the Lord and listen to what the Holy Spirit says. So Paul continued following God's leading. Verse number 8. And they, passing by Myasia, came down to Troas. Still westward, missionary party here is walking all across the province of Myasia. They're not stopping anywhere to do missionary work. I wonder what was going on in the minds of, Paul, of Timothy and Silas. They had been prepared. This, after all, is the Apostle Paul. They had prepared for bursts of activity, mass meetings, conversions, bitter oppositions, even maybe imprisonment. This was Paul, after all. But not just keep walking. I mean, this was a long hike. That's all they've been on so far. And so they, had, they, they, they probably expected that there should be a long string of churches spread behind them in Phrygia and Asia and Bithynia and Myasia, but there's nothing. And uh, I don't know what they expected, but probably not hundreds of miles with nothing to show for it. Nothing but Paul's vetoing every time they stop. Nope, can't stop here. Nope, can't go there. They'll keep on going. They finally get to Troas. Troas was an impressive city, a crowded harbor, the mo uh, probably the most important por port to Macedonia, Greece, and Europe. It was here that Paul finally stopped, and this made sense. This is the kind of city that they, that they could expect Paul to evangelize, but still he did nothing. He needed a word from the Holy Spirit. Verse number 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. This vision marks one of the most important turning points in history. Now think about it. If Paul, uh, it turned Paul westward into Europe and resulted in the evangelization of the West. Europe became, as a result, a great center of Christianity. Uh, if Paul had not listened to the Holy Spirit, it's safe to say that our world would look different today than it does now. Now think about that impact. I mean, Europe was what Europe was several hundred years ago because of Paul's work all the way back then. Uh, this uh, continued to bear fruit. And so this vision is, it, by the way, it has an interesting parallel. If it's not familiar to you, it sounds kind of like the vision of Cornelius, uh, to Peter, but uh, the, Peter had that similar vision. His vision sent him to the Gentiles, Cornelius, and it opened the door of the church to the world. Paul's vision sent him to Europe, the Greeks, 
and it opened the door of the world to the church. So the, the uh, a great, great move was being made here. The Bible says a man from Macedonia appeared in a vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. This call would appeal to the depths of Saul's soul, to evangelize the Greek world, to preach in the cities of Alexander the Great, Philip the Macedon, to preach in the land of Plato, Aristotle, Kidemes, Homer, Socrates, I mean, these great philosophers, that was a mission field. And don't forget, Paul was highly, highly educated. I wouldn't want to sit down and have a discussion with Archimedes and these different people, but uh, Paul certainly could have. Well, not that they lived at the same time, understand. I'm just saying the intelligence and, uh, that Paul had, he was perfect for this job. So Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, even Athens were the, the call now that Paul gets, and he could have not gotten a greater call. Look at verse number 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Did you notice the change there? goes from they to we. We go from the third person to the first person. This signifies that Luke, which is the writer of Acts, has now joined the team. There are several such we passages in Acts where it's talking about they and all of a sudden it says we. That's when Luke joined the team. That's when he worked with them because he at times did so. Maybe Luke's arrival uh, prompted the Macedonian visit. Luke seems to have been Greek. Uh, maybe Luke showed up right after the vision and confirming it in Paul's mind. Uh, some think that Luke himself was the man of Macedonia in Paul's vision. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say for sure. Others think that Paul and Luke are old friends from college. There was a medical school uh, in Tarsus. Uh, some think that Luke was Lucius of Cyrene, that the Bible talks about one of the elders who commended them to the mission field. Uh, then others, and this is what I think is a, a distinct possibility, that Luke was kind of the physician that was practicing uh, there and uh, he in Troas when Paul and his party showed up, and then he also attended to Paul. We know at times Paul was in ill health and needed Luke's professional services. At any rate, no matter what the details were there, Luke's willingness to accompany Paul into Macedonia added confirmation to this vision that he had. Verse number 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to that place, and the next day to Neapolis. Samothracia, I think it is, something like that. Uh, the island of Samothrace rises up from the Aegean Sea, 5,000 feet. It's a point of interest between Troas and Neapolis. It had been there in ancient times. It was the seat of the Kabiri cult, and it needed evangelism. This was a place that was uh, seeped in cultism and heathenism. But Paul's sights were now set on the mainland of Europe. Now look at verse number 12. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that port of Macedonia, and a colony. One of the ways that Rome ruled the world was through her colonies. At a strategic points, they would put these Roman settlements, where Roman citizens set up uh, real, just basically outposts for the empire. In Acts, Philippi, Poseidon, Antioch, Lystra, Troas, Corinth, all these were Roman colonies. They were all patriotic and proud ambassadors to the Roman way of life. 
Later, I think this is interesting, later writing to Philippi, Paul says this, he says in Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven. In other words, we are citizens of heaven. In other words, we are a colony of heaven. And what a way to look at how we live in the world. What a concept uh, that we are Christians living in a hostile world. We're here to represent a way of life and an empire that's not part of this world. That's what Hebrews 11, remember, talks about those who had their eyes on a, a greater city, a better city, one not made with hands. Verse number 12. And we were in that city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. At Philippi, Paul is unable to follow his usual practice. Remember what that was? Head right into the synagogue. Remember, Paul was a tra trained rabbi, so he kind of had like an open door uh, welcome to come in, at least initially, until he started preaching, and they didn't like that so much. But initially, he could come in and speak at these synagogues. But well, there seemed to have been no synagogue in Philippi. Jewish rule required that there were uh, ten men before a synagogue could be formed. But uh, so they were there certain days in the city. Looks like they were kind of scoping the place out, looking for someone. When the Sabbath came, they went down where they would find some spiritually-minded Jewish women. A group met uh, by the river to pray each Sabbath day. And so there they went down to the banks of the Ganges River. I can imagine the introduction <coughs> as they show up uh, and uh, introduce themselves. Timothy, Luke, Silas, Paul himself, and... Uh, this little group was where all this started. And they must have been captivated as Paul told them the story of Jesus. Wasn't many people, if you even can call it a congregation, it was a really small congregation. But we have already seen what God can do with a few. And God can do a lot with a few people. Remember in Acts it also says that the, the, the disciples of Jesus, uh, they're referred to, forget who said it, but they, that they turned the world upside down. God can do a great thing with just a few people. Small things can grow into big things. So Paul here had his core group from which he could work. Look at verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. Now you have one heart, at least was opened that day. There's a woman in the group named Lydia. Uh, it, her name means... This is a shocker, a woman of Lydia. <laughs> That's where she was from. Thyatira in Asia Minor. It was a city that had once been in the kingdom of Lydia. The people in that world were famous for their uh, use and making and use and selling of purple dye. And so possibly Lydia, a Gentile, had become a God-fearer through contact with a Jewish synagogue in her hometown or somebody had to talk to her. Somehow... Lydia became a person that feared God. Would not yet had an understanding of Jesus Christ and all those things, but she had a respect for the Lord. But she was now a businessman located in Philippi. She appears to have been successful, and she was captivated by Paul's message. Look at verse 14. Which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. The story of Jesus Christ answered a thirst in her heart. 
just like the woman we looked at this morning at the well, who had an unquenchable thirst and needed the living water. It was the truth that Lydia had been searching for. She'd probably, been, uh, probably had, to, had responded so far to as much truth as she had, but she needed more. I believe strongly, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, but maybe this is why the Holy Spirit was pushing Paul on to where he would meet her, because I really believe with all my heart, God honors those who obey the light that they have with more light. Uh, light obeyed increases light. Light disobeyed increases darkness. And I believe that even can see that in our own testimony of our family, how a searching heart for truth, God answers those hearts. God sends people to answer those questions if we truly uh, search for the truth, and that was Lydia. She had probably... Uh, he probably didn't understand it. Well, obviously, as Paul comes here now, he's filling her in here, how Jesus is the answer. And the Bible says, with all her heart, she said yes to the gospel. Look at verse 15. And when she was baptized in her household, she not only believed, but she was baptized. Maybe right then and there. This could have been on that same Sunday, that he, or that same Sabbath they went. Imagine the crowd that would gather when they saw this well-dressed, well-to-do woman step into the river to be baptized. You can be sure that Paul lost no time explaining what it was all about. That's one of the great things about baptism is you can use them as uh, vehicles of getting the truth out to more people who come and hear those things. And so uh, Lydia, no doubt, gave testimony as well. Uh, baptism is a great time to make an impact with your testimony. And then verse 15 also finishes with she was baptized and her household. Lydia's testimony inspired others, especially her own servants and children if she had any. They made decisions of their own as well. Now, Paul would not baptize anyone who did not have a clear-cut testimony for Christ because you don't, because baptism comes after salvation. Uh, but it was Lydia's bold step that that, that basically caused the others to also step forward and have a public response. Often, one person standing fearlessly for God and boldly encourages others to do the same thing. And Lydia made an impact. It's an example of the great power we have to inspire people for right. Now, the question then is, who are you inspiring to do right? Did you know there's people watching you uh, all the time? I'm not talking about outside your window. I just mean there are people that watch your life. There's people that observe you. There's, may, there's probably unsaved people that watch you. There are, are also saved people. There may be children, grandchildren, uh, nieces, nephews, uh, family, friends, neighbors, but people are watching you. Your life has an impact. Nobody lives unto themselves. Everybody can impact somebody. And so my question is, what are they seeing? Uh, the, the, uh, uh, I believe it was Paul who said, you are, the, 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 are, you are the, an epistle read of men. So if you are the only Bible that somebody is reading, what version are they reading? Uh, what uh, truth are they getting? And so it's a great example for us that as we see some of these uh, examples in Scripture of God using these people to just, Widen the, the, uh, the, the impact circle. And uh, we see that as we go on with Paul's missionary journey. So, All right. It's too early, but that's all I have.
So um, I'm going to let you go a little early tonight. Amen. But let's have a word of prayer. Let's be challenged to do what Paul did.